Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Do you know how to get back on the right path after you've made a really bad mistake? First, you've got to understand that when you lead yourself, you're most often going to make bad decisions. When you're guided by your own feelings or by the feelings of those around you, instead of letting the Spirit guide you, you're going to make some pretty horrible decisions. The thing about bad decisions is that one mistake seems to always lead to another bad choice until you find yourself in an out of control downward spiral. But here's the deal, no matter how bad your decisions have been or even how many bad choices you've made, God's promise to you and for you cannot be forfeited. It's coming to you like a freight train, so turn to God right now. Listen in and find out how you can get back on the right path again after making bad choices. So I have a question this morning that we're going to address, and that is, um, how on earth can you get back on the right path after you've made a bad decision? Put differently, after you've fallen off the horse, how can you get back in the saddle again? And when I'm talking a bad decision, I'm talking small bad decisions or big bad decisions. But how can you get back on the right path again? And we've been studying Abraham's life, and um, we get a really, really good idea of how that can be done from from watching his example. And and also um, seeing how God, what God does to get us back uh, on the right path again. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read to you the story of Abraham, Sarah, Ishmael, this lady named Hagar. I'm probably uh, saying it in a Texas accent. I don't know if it's Hagar or Hagar. But anyways, we'll go with Hagar this morning. And we're going to read Genesis 16. You can follow along in any version of the Bible that you have. And then we're also going to read the first two verses in in Genesis 17 as well. But listen to this story. Just sit back and relax. And we're going to answer this question of how you can get back on the right path after you've made a really bad decision. Now Sarai, that was Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But... She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed um, to what Sarai said. So after Abram had uh, been living in Canaan for ten years, Sarai took uh, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave him to her husband to be his wife. He slept with her and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, this is Hagar, she began to despise her mistress, that is Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for this wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring um, that is beside the road of Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, 
Where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in, his, in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave, this, um, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I now have seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Beer Laomi Roi, and it is still there between Kadesh and Barad. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Genesis 17 verses 1 and 2. Then Abram was 99 years old, or when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. I would like to kind of walk through the story and learn what you can do whenever you've made a big mistake how you can get back on the right path again from this example of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. And so what I'd like to do is kind of start from the top in verse, verse 1 and draw some truths out of the story that we can begin to apply. And I'll tell you, this has already been helping me in the last week as I've been studying this, and I think it's really going to help each one of us, both looking back and then also looking forward. But let's look at Genesis verse 1. It says, Now Sarai... Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. You know what? Neither what you don't have or and what you do have will impact the promise of God in your life. So if you look at your life and you say, you know what? I don't have anything. That doesn't impact God's promise to you. And you can look at your life and say, well, I do have this, that, or the other. Guess what? That doesn't impact God's promise in your life either. Because look at this verse again. Sarai looked at herself and she realized she had no children. And she realized that she had an Egyptian slave who could bear children. And neither one of those two things had anything to do with God's promise in her life. So stop looking at what you don't have. And also stop looking at what you do have and just start focusing on God's promise to you because that's what's the most valuable thing anyways. Don't focus on God's unfulfilled promises. Keep focusing on what he has promised, the promises that he has made to you. That has helped me so much lately. There's a couple of things that I'm still waiting on God to fulfill his promise to me on. And this last week, I kind of started looking at the things that I didn't have. And the Holy Spirit reminded me, Hey, you're a spirit-led guy, Steve. I want you to focus on my promises, not my unfulfilled promises that are, you're still waiting on. Look at 2 Peter 3.9. 
and, and this is how we tend to think of God's promises. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I think that verse is really interesting because here I'm the one waiting on God's promises, and and I should the Bible should be saying uh, that uh, you know that I should be patient with God, but that's not what this verse says. It says He's patient with me while I'm waiting. <laughs> I think that's kind of interesting. What is He patient with me about? He's patient with me while I'm being conformed into His image. You see, while I'm waiting for His promise to be fulfilled in my life. That waiting period, he's molding me, he's making me, he's shaping me. And as we learned last Sunday, that's an integral part, a very important part to my fruitfulness. I can't be fruitful until I'm conformed into the image of Jesus. So he's patient with me while I'm waiting on him to fulfill his promises. But this verse came to me. Oh, I love this verse. When you're waiting on God's promises, remember that God is the God of the suddenlies. He acts suddenly. And tell me if you don't disagree. If you Tell me if you don't agree with this. Look back at all the times when God has acted. Has he not acted suddenly? Look at Isaiah 48, verse 3. I foretold you the former things long ago. My mouth announced them, and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. That's Isaiah 48, verse 3. Suddenly I acted. God is the God of the suddenlies. Well, let's move on in our story there in Genesis 16 and verse 2. It says, So she said to Abram, this is Abram's wife Sarai, before her name was changed, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Well, that's a pretty radical decision to make, don't you think? What she was basically saying was, it's God's fault that I haven't had children, so I'm going to go ahead and take matters into my own hands. That's basically what Abram's wife was saying. And we can, we can heap all kinds of abuse on her, but you know what? You and I, we've both done this so many times. All of us have done this so many times. Man's schemes and plans simply don't work. They just create messes. When you do something of your own accord without God's input, you're going to be worse off than when you started. You're going to be left with challenges that you might have to deal with the rest of your life when you go create your own mess. When you say, God, you shake your fist at God and you say, God, you're taking too long. I'm going to go ahead and make this happen myself. You're going to create a massive mess in your life that for some of us, we may end up having to deal with the rest of our lives. You know what? If if instead of being spirit-led, you're self-led, uh, let me get that. I got that backwards. If you can be spirit-led, instead of being self-led, you can avoid a lot of unnecessary complications in your life. So just follow the Spirit. Wait on God. Let God act first. Let your actions only be reactions to His actions, and you will avoid a lot of messes in your life. Proverbs 131 says, They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. Man-made schemes create messes, and that's what we see in the story. Now, we could do a bunch of what-if scenarios and say, Well, what if Abraham and Sarah hadn't done this? 
But you know what? That's not how the story goes. So let's go with what the story does because this shows us how to get out of the messes that we've created. Well, we read that Abram, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So he was just as, as much an accomplice as she was uh, uh, the, the, the idea creator of this, this plan here. You know, and so Abram agreed with Sarai. One of the toughest things about waiting on God is when those who depend on you are affected by the unanswered prayers. So it's one thing whenever I wait on God and I have to deal with the waiting process, but when I have a family around me who's having to wait with me, that makes it that much more difficult. Or let's say you're, you're married, uh, you don't have any kids, God shows you you need to wait, let's say, to purchase a car. But your wife or your husband wants a car now. And you turn around to them and you say, honey, we're going to have to wait on this. Well, now they're affected and their faith can be affected because they're having to wait along with you. Well, here, Abram, he was okay. He probably could have waited as long as God wanted him to. But his wife got impatient. And that's when it gets really tough is when you're not the only one affected by the, the, the waiting period. You can't afford to be influenced by others when their faith in God starts to dwindle. If their faith in God dwindles, don't let yours dwindle. You keep strong. You keep, you keep strong in your faith. You stand strong even when those around you start getting weak. Let's look at a couple of examples from the, uh, the Old and New Testament. There was King Saul, who Samuel, the prophet Samuel had told King Saul, wait seven days... And then we'll, I'll come and I'll sacrifice to the Lord. Well, listen to this story. He was already into those seven days in 1 Samuel 13, 7. Um, it says, Saul remained at Gilgal with all the troops with him, and his troops were quaking with fear. They were quaking with fear. So here was Saul. He was waiting seven days, and his troops all around him started quaking with fear. It says in 1 Samuel 13, verse 8, he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Now see the problem, let me give you a little bit of information here. He had enemy troops, there was about, a, a war was about to break out, and Saul's men began to scatter. They were quaking with fear, and here's Saul standing true. He was going to wait for Samuel. So Saul says in verse 9, he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings himself. Just as he had finished making the offering, Samuel the prophet arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, I saw that the men were scattering and that you didn't come at the set time and that the Philistines, that's the enemy, were assembling at Michmash. I thought, now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Samuel said, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God that he gave you. If you had, um, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Now see, whenever God tells you to do something, you do it regardless of what people around you are saying, doing, or thinking. If their faith dwindles, don't let your faith dwindle alongside of theirs. You stand strong. 
A similar example is found in the New Testament in Acts 5.27. The apostles were brought in before uh, the Sanhedrin, which was, uh, call it the, the, the high court of Israel, and they appeared before that Sanhedrin for questioning before the high priest. And the high priest said, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, in other words, the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with all your teaching and have determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. Do not let your family affect your faith. Don't let people at work affect your faith. Don't let the government affect your faith. You do what God tells you to do and don't, don't slip into a weaker, weaker place simply because of other people. Look at this. We're going back to our story there in Genesis 16, now in verse 3. It says, So after Abram had been living in Canaan for ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband. All right, after ten years of Abram being spirit-led and following what God told him to do and doing so many things right and avoiding making bad decisions, he made one self-led decision that affected he and his wife for the rest of their lives. The rest of their lives, after 10 years of being spirit-led, they made one self-led bad decision. But I want you to notice this, that one bad decision did not keep God's promise from being fulfilled for them. You can make horrible decisions and God will still keep his promise to you. It's an, imagine, it's an unimaginable thought. We can make all kinds of bad decisions and God's promise is still in, in line for you, still in that queue coming to you forcefully. So don't think that you can stop God's plan for your life because you make a mistake. I've heard these goofy questions, okay? What if I sin in the last second of my life? Will I go to heaven or hell? What a stupid question that is. That's, we don't understand God's grace, if that's what we're asking. So, so if I'm a Christian and I relapse into drugs, does that keep me out of heaven? Does one bad decision keep you from going to heaven? Let me tell you what, if you've accepted Jesus into your life, and you're living for him, one bad decision is not going to damn you to hell. It is not going to happen. Period. Absolutely. God's plan is a freight train coming down the tracks to your life, and no bad decision is going to keep that from happening. Now, let me tell you what. If you turn your back on God and you walk away from him and you renounce your faith in God, that's a whole different situation. We're talking about daily decisions here, not your heart condition with God, all right? So we, I do acknowledge this. The decisions that you make can definitely increase the misery index in your life and make you incredibly miserable, all right? But it's not gonna keep you from, from God's plan, God's promises taking place in your life. Well, we read on in Genesis 16, it says, when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, that is Sarai. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for this wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms and now she knows she's pregnant. She's despising me. May the Lord judge between you and me. You know what? Even before the plan was hatched, 
your the misery of your bad decisions begin to take begins to take form notice that also the very person who pressured abram to make a bad decision turned around and then blamed him <laughs> isn't that something that's another reason to not be pressured by people because when you go ahead and go with the flow and go with the crowd and things don't go well they're going to blame you and it's all based on their feelings don't be pressured by people because of their feelings because when they see things that aren't aren't working out the same people are going to turn around blame you and worse still they're going to leave you so be a nonconformist in this world do only what god tells you to do be spirit led don't be feelings led if you're led by your feelings nine times out of ten you're going to make bad decisions that you're going to regret if there's one thing that I'm learning, it's not to let people's feelings pressure me. People are not going to like you for a variety of reasons, so you may as well get used to it and not fall into the trap of approval addiction, of always needing to be approved by people. People's feelings are certainly to be considered, but not be a final deciding factor. So I'm not saying to be a jerk and just run over people and not consider their feelings. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about letting their feelings dictate and rule your decisions in life. That's very, very poor form and you'll certainly regret it. Let's read on in verse 16 of Genesis, excuse me, verse 6 of Genesis 16. Abram says, your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, and so much so that she fled from her. It must have been pretty brutal <laughs> what Sarai must have done to Hagar for her to run away, especially the way that she did. She just ran into the desert with no plan, okay? She didn't even take much of anything with her. And I'll tell you this. I don't know that Abram made much of a spirit-led decision here when he said, go ahead and do with her whatever you please. And here's what I've found. When you make one bad decision, it leads to another bad decision. And that just spirals out of control. And that's what we're trying to avoid. With every bad decision, there's an exit sign where you can get out of that that horrible spiral downward. You can exit at any point, And we're going to be talking about how to do that here in just a few minutes. So we need to stop that cycle of bad decision-making, of making things worse and worse. Go back to the simplicity of being spirit-led. Even if you've fallen off the horse, go back to that and stop being feelings-led, especially by other people's feelings. Verse 7 of Genesis 16, The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road of shore. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I, th I find it funny that um, the angel didn't say, you're not a slave, you know, it's okay, that's, that's, that's not your stage in life. No, he, he called it like it was. I'll never forget once, um, I had a boss that was incredibly tough, um, excessively tough. And I remember getting in my car one lunch at, during lunch and going out and in my car as I was driving, shouting at my boss at the top of my lungs. Of course, he couldn't hear me. I was in my car. Um, but shouting, out at, shouting at him, telling him, you know, 
get out of my life. You know, you're a jerk. I hate you. You know, I was just shouting all these things at him, kind of venting, unloading. And you know what after lunch I had to do? I had to go back into my office and do everything that my boss told me to do, right? And so that's what this, this, this uh, angel, um, you know, says, you're still, you're still a servant, or in this case, a slave of Sarai. But he asks a question, and it's a spirit-led question that's in our readings for this, for this week. Where have you come from, and where are you going? And, and it's a very thought-provoking set of, of two questions. Um, where have I come from? In other words, what have I learned from my life? If I'm 40 years old, if I'm 13 years old, if I'm 80 years old, what have I learned? Where have I come from? And I pray for crying out loud that we've learned something from our life, from the experiences, both bad and good. Maybe you've learned lessons through failure. Each and every one of us has failed many times over. What did you learn from that failure? So that you don't have to fail again in that, in that kind of situation or circumstance. Maybe, maybe you've learned how not to raise a family. And that's okay. You learned it. Now you can pass on your knowledge to others or deal with your grandchildren differently or, or pass on your experiences to your children so they can raise their children better. But maybe you've, maybe you've learned how to listen to God's voice and finally follow him. Maybe that's what you've learned. Where have you come from? Maybe you've learned how to lead or, or how not to lead. You see, a spirit-led person is a self-aware person. A spirit-led person is a self-aware person. And, and you know, a self-aware person can look into their life and see things that are not right, see things that are, that are right, and be aware of themselves, be aware of their actions and their reactions, and, and begin to be self-controlled with the help of the Holy Spirit. A, a spirit-led person is going to have a high emotional IQ. Now, do you, if you know what an IQ is, an IQ is, is an intelligence quotient. It's, it's somebody with a high IQ, somebody that's very smart, say with math, or very smart in science, or very smart in, in, in any number of disciplines. All right. Well, there's such a thing as an emotional IQ, being smart enough to understand people, being smart enough to understand ourselves. And if you can understand people, if you can understand yourself, you can begin to understand God as well. And that's so important. And I would call that having a high spiritual IQ. Understanding yourself and understanding God, that's a match made in heaven. Where have you come from? Are you growing in your self-understanding? Are you growing in your understanding of God? Now, when, I, when you ask yourself, where have you been and where are you going? Those should be two very different answers. Where you've been and where you're going to end up at should be two completely, entirely different places. The path that you've gone on should be very different from the path that you will go on. Do not let your future defi be defined by your past. If I start thinking, I'm always going to be in the same place, I'm always going to be the same person, I'm always going to have the same bad habits, that's hell on earth, literally. But God doesn't expect that. Expect that. I don't want to keep making the same mistakes over and over again. I don't want to try the same thing that I tried before that didn't work. 
the first time. I want to change. I want to improve. I want to grow. I want to progress. And I want that for everybody around me as well. I don't want to ever become complacent and just accept the status quo and be mediocre in my life. So where am I going? Well, I can only speak for myself, so I'll tell you where I'm going, where I want to be, and I believe where God wants me to be. I want to go to a place of God-centered fruitfulness. I want, uh, I, I want to go to a place of always waiting, watching, and listening for the Holy Spirit. And I want to be Spirit-carried the rest of my life. I want the Holy Spirit to carry me through the rest of my life. That's where I'm going. How about you? Where do you want to go? Where do you want God to take you? Well, here's what, here's what Hagar answered, or how Hagar answered the question. Uh, <laughs> and she answered it in one phrase, where she had been and where she was going. She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. That's all she said. <laughs> if that's your answer, let's rethink where you're going. All right? She was basically saying, I'm running away from my problem and I'm running away from my challenge. I'm amazed at our inability to cope and, and tolerate our suffering. I'm absolutely amazed. What do we do? As soon as a problem surfaces, what do we do? We tend to run away from it. And God doesn't want us to do that. So she was admitting, I'm running away from my ability to cope with my problem. What does a person do that can't cope with their problems? Well, they fall into their addictive behavior very quickly. If it's drugs, if it's alcohol, if it's an extramarital affair, it might be a spending spree, or they just may give up. You know what? You and I, we can't afford to be that way. We're not of those uh, that shy away from problems. We're of those that run towards them with God's help and see our challenges and our problems fixed and that we learn from our challenges and our problems. So here's what the angel of the Lord told her after she said, I'm running away. He said, go back to your mistress and submit to her. <laughs> the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall call him Ishmael and the Lord, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. Again, there, I wouldn't be too excited about that promise, but it is what it is. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards his brothers. Let me tell you what. God is telling us to go back to our problems, and this is for somebody today, all right? He's telling you to go back to your problem and address it. He's telling you to submit to the process instead of running away from it to learn from it, to grow from it, and, and that that obedience of yours, if you're obedient to this, you will receive a fruitful promise, a promise of fruitfulness. I'll never forget the story of Mercy Me, this uh, Christian band, Bart, is it? I can't remember. Miller, Bart Miller, I think was his name. Anyways, Bart grows up in an extremely abusive uh, household. His dad beats him uh, physically, emotionally, in just about every respect. And um, Bart finally, I think when he's of age, he runs away from home or, or just leaves home. 
and and he's very talented musically. Um, he creates, you know, starts a Christian band. They go around, and they're they're uh, doing concerts and whatnot. But he finally reaches a point where he realizes he's got to go back to his problem. He ran away from his abusive past and reestablish a relationship with his abusive father. When he submits himself to this process and to God, everything turns around for Bart. And now we know that Mercy Me is one of the most uh, successful music, you know, Christian music bands out there. Let me tell you what. God's asking you to go back to deal with for unforgiveness, deal with sorrow, deal with sadness, deal with your past. God wants you to go back. He wants to lead you in this. Now, I, I always I want I want to make sure that you understand this. If you are in a seriously abusive relationship, God doesn't want you to go back to the seriously abusive relationship, okay? Never, ever believe that to be the case. If you're experiencing extreme abuse, you need to exit that situation at pretty much any cost. But if it's a situation where you're just simply receiving inner healing and going back and dealing with that process, you need to do it because you're going to receive a promise of fruitfulness and not only a promise but a fulfillment of promise. Let's go on in verse 13 of Genesis 16. Hagar says, um, let's see, she, she oh, let, let me read this. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. She gave this name to the Lord. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I now I have now seen the one who sees me. And that is why they called uh, the, the well was called Bir Lohani Roy, and it's still there. So here's a here's a question. When you have an encounter like that, a spirit led encounter with God, such as Hagar had, you give God a name. You give God a name. There's plenty of names in the Bible. Uh, that you can assign to the Lord. They're his. But why not be creative in giving God a name as Hagar was? I started thinking about this myself. And here's some names that I've given to God after kind of going through this just in my own devotional time. Revealer of all solutions. Anytime I have a problem, God always seems to reveal a solution. So I call him the revealer of all solutions. Um, I call God the answerer of all prayers. I call God the rescuer of hopelessness. I've had hopelessness many times and he rescued me. It. He's the giver of all good things to me. He's the feeder of my soul. There's so often when I get just starved spiritually and he feeds my soul. He's my guide. He's the healer of my sicknesses and injuries. And I love that. To me, that speaks because I've been healed of injuries, which is really cool. We always talk about sicknesses, but he's the healer of my injuries. And not just physical injuries, it could be emotional injuries as well. My rescuer from overly aggressive people. (laughs) I really like that one. My rescuer from overly aggressive people. My consistent provider my promise maker and my promise keeper. So there's some ones, you're not going to find many of those as I've written them in the Bible. 
why don't you go make up some names for God of who he is to you and who he's been for you as Hagar did. Hagar felt unnoticed, overlooked, ignored, abused, neglected, but everything changed when God showed her that he knew who she was. He had a plan for her and she could see the God that saw her absolutely amazing let me tell you what as a spirit-led person we've kind of gone down the rabbit trail of hagar away from sarai away from abram but she had a spirit-led encounter with god almighty that changed her forever absolutely amazing so in verse 15 hagar bore abram a son and abram gave him the name of what the very name that had been prophesied ishmael and that's the son that she bore. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. Now, we're, we're reaching re- really close to finishing here. 13 years later, so Abram is 86, right? Did I get that right? He's 86 when all of this happens. 13 years later, in Genesis 17, his story picks up, and God sh- reveals himself to, to Abram. So that makes Ishmael around, you know, he's in middle school. He's, uh, he's already wreaking havoc, probably had been wreaking havoc for quite some time already. And Abram has been dealing with his mistake for 13 years. I guarantee you, Sarah and Hagar never got along very well at all throughout this whole time. And there's Ishmael, and Abram wants to love Ishmael and treat him as his son, as I'm sure he did. But there's constant conflict for 13 years. And finally, when Abram is 99 years old, in Genesis 17, uh, the Lord appears to Abram and says something that transforms Abram forever. He says, I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. He says, Abram, you've been dealing with your mistake for 13 years. I want you to listen to me, Abram, and I don't want you to ever forget this. I want you to walk before me faithfully and be blameless. In the American Standard Version of this verse, uh, excluding the these and the thous, which I'm not a big fan of, uh, the, the verse says, walk before me and be perfect. Instead of saying be blameless, he says, be perfect. And in the Amplified Version, I love how this reads. It says, Walk habitually before me with integrity, knowing that you are always in my presence, and be blameless and be complete in your obedience to me. Wow, that's a mouthful. So as I look at this, how can, after I've made a mistake, how can I get back on the right path again? I can begin to live in God's presence so close to him that I'm in his presence day and night, and I can be led of the Spirit. Because it says here, be complete in your obedience to me. Well, there's nothing more completely obedient to God than being led by his Spirit, minute by minute, day by day. Um, my dad said something uh, to me when I was younger that I'll never forget. He asked me, do you think you can avoid... Uh, doing wrong for one minute out of your life? I said, yes, I, I think I can avoid doing you know, something wrong for one minute. Then he said, if you can do it for one minute, do you think you can do it for one hour? I said, yeah, I think I can avoid doing it for an hour. He said, do you think you can avoid doing wrong for one day? I said, yes, sir, I think I can. He said, then you're on the right path. <laughs> 
And I've paraphrased that. I may not have, have completely said that story exactly right. But we can be led by the Spirit minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And if we do that, we can get back up on the saddle again and get back on the right path again. At some point in our life, God expects us to live consistently following Him, obeying His direction each and every day. When we haven't received clear direction, then we need to inquire of the Lord. Inquire of the Lord. That was the, the secret sauce of David's success, was he inquired of the Lord all the time. And when he didn't, he got into big trouble. All right, so if, if, if we're not feeling led of the Lord, let's inquire of the Lord. This is what it means to be perfect and to be blameless, is to be spirit-led and just simply be in the presence of the Lord, to be close to Him, to be so close to Him that His shadow, uh, his, his shadow overshadows us, and we're found in the secret place of the Most High. I'll never forget talking to this. Um, I, I wasn't talking to him. It was actually my parents. I was still younger. Uh, but we were at a church camp site um, in South Texas, and the, the church, uh, the camp director came up to our car and was just talking to us a little bit. And I'll never forget how joyful this guy was. He was just beaming. He was overflowing. And there in front of us, he told us of, of his life just very briefly. I'll never forget it. He had uh, gone through a divorce. He, had, he was a pastor. He had gone through a divorce. And the denomination that he was a part of wouldn't allow him to continue pastoring after his divorce. And so a big mistake. It messed him up. I don't know if his marriage was a mistake or his divorce was a mistake, but one way or another, a big mistake. And But God saw him through it, and now he was living out the dream of being a camp director uh, for the South Texas District, and he was just overflowing with joy. Let me tell you what. Your mistakes will not keep God's promises from being fulfilled mm -hmm. in your life. Absolutely wonderful. Look at this, Genesis 6, 9. Those two things that God told Abram were lived out by Noah. It says this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people. In other words, he was spirit-led. He did what God told him minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, and he walked faithfully with the Lord. In other words, he walked before the Lord. He was so close to God that he was in God's presence all the time. This verse in Matthew 5.48 has confounded me so often. But Jesus says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now I understand that a lot more than I used to. That means be perfectly obedient to God. Be perfectly Spirit-led. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, and you will be led into perfection. Now, not a perfection that you can brag about before God and say, Oh, look, I'm perfect. Now you can love me, Lord. It's not that. It's just lovingly following the Holy Spirit day in and day out, listening to, to what he has to say. I'll end, I'll end with this scripture, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. The Apostle Paul says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Being spirit-led. See, when you start following the Spirit, other people will follow your example as well. Those people that put pressure on you to, to, to go left or to go right, to make a deviation, to not do the right thing, don't listen to them. If, if, if you don't follow their, 
their suggestions and recommendations, they might get their feelings hurt. Don't worry about it. Do what God has told you to do. Keep your faith strong in Him and be spirit-led. And in doing so, listen to this, when you fall off the horse, you get off the path, you make a big mistake, get back close to God. Get back in His presence and allow His Spirit to begin to lead you day in and day out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Heavenly Father, Lord, for your goodness in our lives, Lord Jesus. Lord, Spirit-led people make bad decisions, but it doesn't have to be of the final thing. And it certainly doesn't keep them from receiving the promises of God, the fulfillment of God's plan in their life. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that when we stub our toe, you don't knock us over the head. <laughs> Lord, instead, you help us. Lord, you, you heal us. You put us back on the right path again. You stand us back up again. And you say, my child, I love you. Let's just keep going in the right direction. You made a mistake, but that's why I died for your sins, was to cover the, the, the judgment of those bad mistakes, the condemnation. Lord, the finality of those bad mistakes. With my death, nothing is final anymore. You can keep on going. You can keep coming closer and closer to me. Lord, help us to learn, instead of making bad decision after bad decision, to get out of that spiraling downward trend. Lord God, and help us to, to reach out to you and say, God, I want to get close to you again. Lord, I want to be spirit-led again. I want to be perfectly obedient to you again, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Lord, so we, we turn our life over to you. We entrust our life to you, Jesus, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Lord, we give our lives completely to you, and we say, God, I open my heart to you. Come into my life, Lord. Rescue me, Lord, from my bad decisions, from my bad tendencies, Lord, that the Bible calls iniquity. Lord, rescue me from my iniquity, my bad tendencies, O oh God. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for it. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I, you know, I'd really like to give the opportunity to any and everyone that's on the line right now to open your heart to the Lord. I wish we were together right now in a room where we could be together, we could pray together. But if that's you, you'd say, you know, Steve, I've made so many bad decisions. I couldn't stop the, the, the vicious cycle to save my life. But you know what? I need God's help right now. And you know, if that's you, I'd like you right there in your room, whether you're in your living room, maybe you're listening to this as a recording. But I'd like you to, I'd like you to reach out to God right now and say, God, I've made so many bad decisions in my life. I might be in the process of making a really bad decision right now that I can't even stop. Lord, I just open my heart to you would you come into my heart and would you take control of my life and would you help me to start making good decisions? Would you help me please get on the right path again? I'm tired of falling off. I'm tired of hurting myself, of injuring not only myself but those around me. Lord, would you come into my heart right now? 
And I want to reassure you, if you're praying this prayer, if you're asking God, if you're on your knees right now calling out to God and, and asking for, for his help, if that's you right now, I want to reassure you that God is coming into your life right now. Right now. If you open the door to your life, the Bible says in, Gen, in uh, Revelations 3.20 that he will come into your life. He will sit down with you. He will eat with you, which is a sign of relationship. And he will begin to put things back in order in your life. I encourage you right now, my friend, man, just to do that right now to call out to the Lord because the Bible also promises that everybody that calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Will be saved. He will rescue your life right now. Thank you, Heavenly Father, Lord, for hearing these prayers that we're praying. God, you're not a God who turns a deaf ear. Lord, you're a God that turns an ear to our, our cries, to our calls for help, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for doing it. In your name I pray. Amen.